Couldn't find my coat this morning. How do you lose a coat? I don't know. I lost my coat. Couldn't, can't find it. And if I can't find it, that'll be the third coat in four years I've lost. <laughs> and you think, you think I'm exaggerating? Ask my wife. Fortunately, this was a cheap coat because we stopped buying good coats because I lose them. <laughs> That's not counting the sports jackets I've lost. How do you lose clothes? I wear foot orthotics because I got a kind of a weird back. These are expensive. I left them someplace last night. How do you lose foot orthotics? $150 foot orthotics. Lost my keys on Tuesdays. Lost a week, works, week worth of lectures on Wednesday. I had to give a lecture on Wednesday night without any notes because I couldn't find the stupid notes or the overhead. I have no idea where they are. I distinctly remember filing them in the cabinet, but there's some demon in my cabinet that takes them out and hides them. Tough week. Oh, 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 oh. Spilled. We spilled uh, paint on our month-old $800 couch yesterday and on the rug. Oh, man. Broke a movie that we rented. It was a dumb movie. $80 flushed down the toilet. Bye. You know, just goodbye. You ever feel like you're just flushing money down the toilet? It's like, oh, there it goes. That's the kind of week it's been. And it's been like that all week long. I thank God that we don't have a TV ministry right now because TV evangelists aren't allowed to say this kind of stuff. One thing I've never understood about TV evangelists is that they're always happy. Because they're always rich. I'm sorry. 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 Censor that. No, there's, but I don't remember ever seeing Robert Tilton frown. He, he's always, you know, I would love to just once see Robert Schuler get up with that smile of his and say to his 16 million viewers, I'm not in the mood to be positive this morning. <laughs> so turn the channel. What are you doing at home watching? You should be in church. Get a life. Go out and watch something else. That'd be great. Or Pat Robertson and that friend of his as they're praying for people out there in, in uh, TV land. <laughs> I just love to hear one of them saying, and I, I, I see someone out there, and you're really ticking me off. <laughs> Get a life! But in truth, I feel pretty good this morning, <laughs> believe it or not. This is what I call my Rush Lumbaugh mood. I, I, you know. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Where's a feminazi? Some of you know him, some of you don't. Yeah, you get... I feel pretty good this morning because this week I also practiced what I preached last week. Isn't that great when the guy actually practices what he preaches? This was kind of easy, though, because I preached on partying. So yesterday, after this week where I have been under a lot of stress, and I really think some kind of uh, oppression, and my wife's been under a lot of stress and, and some oppression, we said yesterday, it's time to go out and do what did he... And uh, have a good time. So we went out and enjoyed ourselves. We just threw our cares to the wind and forgot about the sofa and forgot about the lost stuff and just put all the stuff aside and let's go out and enjoy one another. Let's have a lot of fun. Let's enjoy ourselves. Let's sing at the top of our lungs to the Four Seasons. That's why my voice is so shot this morning. I was so busy. When you sing in falsetto to the Four Seasons, that does that to you. Sherry, Sherry, baby. But you got to do it loud. We had a great time. And that's how I lost my shoe orthotics. But I don't care. 
Somewhere in some restaurant tonight to this morning, there's some orthotics under a table. Some confused waitress is going to look at that and go, what? We had a good time. And this morning, as we sang, as I look into your holiness and turn your eyes upon Jesus, you remind yourself that when all is said and done, there's only one thing that's really important. You know, and it's not the issues and it's not the problems and it's not the struggles. They're there. They'll always be there. What's new? But somehow taking that Sabbath prayer we talked about last week and relaxing and enjoying, in a marriage, enjoying one another, having fun with one another, romancing one another, sets all the issues somehow in perspective. They, they all of a sudden seem small. When you stare at something close enough, for one thing, you get cross-eyed. But the other thing is it gets very big. If you, if you just focus in on it, it gets, seems very, very large. But when you can step back and put it in perspective, it's pretty small. We said last week as we talked about Sabbath prayer that there's a need for us to, in marriage, the times that we have together, the, the, the romance and, and the love and the fun and the laughter and the singing, those aren't peripheral to what a marriage is about. That's central. That is the foundation stuff. The issues are what are central. And if you've got a good foundation of mutual enjoyment of one another, you have the energy and the, and the motivation to work through the issues. But if you don't have that, the issues just swallow you up. And so it is in our relationship with the Lord. Enjoying Jesus looking upon the Lord and resting in His presence and clapping our hands and, and singing and dancing before the Lord. This isn't the icing on the cake of Christianity. This is the stuff that our Christian walk is made out of. The issues, the struggles that we have, the many problems that we have in our life, the many defeats that we have in our life, as important as they are and as serious as we need to take them, they are still the periphery. We need to invest our time and being with the Lord. Now what I want to talk about this morning is how do you do that? How do you do that? The text that I want to take it from is in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 through 18 that Paul read for you. Where Paul says, As we, with unveiled faces, behold the glory of the Lord. As we see the Lord, as Isaiah saw, uh, saw the Lord. As we look upon His beauty, as we look upon His holiness... As we look into his eyes and see the glory of his love and the glory of his peace towards us and the glory of his joy over us, Paul says, in doing that, we're transformed from one degree of glory to another. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for being here this morning in the very unique kind of presence that we felt here this morning. Um, and I thank you for the rest you give. I thank you, Lord God, because you're bigger than any burden we might carry you're way bigger than any burden we might carry, way bigger than any issue we might face. The mountains that we think are Mount Everest are really just little molehills to you, Lord. And if we put those cares on your shoulders long enough to enjoy you, we'll see that. I pray, Lord, this morning that you would cause there to be a lightness for those who are struggling here this morning. And teach us, God, even through these words, what it is to look upon you, what it is to enjoy you. Teach us, Lord God, how to enter into this restful vibrant relationship with you. In your name we pray. Amen. It may have been last week and it may be this morning that, that um, when you hear this talk about romancing Jesus, you hear this talk about being intimate with God and enjoying God and celebrating God, looking upon the face of Jesus, that language, it may be, sounds odd to you. Don't feel weird if it sounds odd to you. I expect that there's a lot of people for whom that sounds odd. Maybe it even sounds a little bit flaky. And when you hear people saying things like, 
you know, the Lord talked to me last night, and I spoke with the Lord, and he, the Lord showed me, sometimes we say things like this, the Lord gave me a picture of this, the Lord revealed something to me, and maybe that you're here this morning, and that sounds like very unusual talk, kind of strange. People talk as though Jesus were like a physical person that was with them when they pray, and that sounds weird to you. Don't feel odd and out of place if you feel like that. Don't feel like everyone else in this place knows what I'm talking about, and you're the only one who doesn't. A lot of people don't understand that kind of talk, and that's what I want to preach on it for. Maybe that you're here this morning, and it's easy for you to believe that, to believe that God exists. To believe that God exists. But you believe that God exists the same way you believe that there are subatomic particles. It, it's, a, it's the best theory going. It's, it's a philosophical belief. How else can you explain the world? So you believe that God exists. But it's an abstract kind of belief. Now maybe that you believe this morning that, that, that Jesus Christ existed and that maybe he was even the Son of God and you believe that he rose from the dead and that's a true good belief. Believe it. But that belief is kind of a theoretical thing. You believe that the same way you believe that Napoleon was a, a, a French dictator that fought at the Battle of Waterloo. It's a historical fact and you believe it. But it's not like something that really impacts your life. It's, it's not like a, a relationship you have. You wouldn't romance a historical fact. You wouldn't romance a philosophical truth. And maybe that you're here this morning and you believe that the Bible is inspired. It's, there's too much evidence for it to be inspired, to think that it's not inspired. And so you believe that it's inspired and you even obey it. But it's kind of like believing that a document from Thomas Jefferson is genuine. It's, it's a theory you hold, but it's not a vibrant reality. It's not something that confronts you. It's not something you have a relationship with. For very, very many of us, and maybe all of us, some of the time, maybe even most of the time, Christianity is something we believe. It's something that we believe, a truth that we affirm, a doctrine that we hold, but it's not a living reality that we walk in and live in and breathe in, something concrete and vibrant that hits us. Morton Kelsey, one of the, I think, great spiritual writers of, of our age, said this, the fundamental problem with Western Christianity today is that it's overly intellectualized. We have what he calls a conceptual Christianity, a Christianity of concepts, of ideas, devoid of any experiential reality, devoid of experience. I said last week that I thought the major epidemic problem in evangelical Christianity was that we've lost the ability to have fun and to enjoy God and to romance God and to experience that vibrant reality. And I think that's a true thing. And the reason I think we've done that is because of what, what Morton Kelsey says, that our Christianity is theoretical, our Christianity is somewhat abstract. Here's the difference between something being abstract and something being concrete, just so you get a handle on this. Let's say you're really hungry. Maybe you are really hungry. And let's say you like McDonald's Quarter Pounders with cheese. I still think that's the best tasting food on the market. So you're hungry out there, and, and, and what if I said... Something like this. Would this really touch you? If I gave you the information on the chemical ingredients that go into making a, up a quarter pounder with cheese, I mean, would tell you that it's 40% soybean, 20% animal byproducts, 10% fat, 10% uh, cholesterol, and 4% beef, or something like that. There's probably a, an owner of a McDonald's here who's right now very angry at me. I'm just using it as a, Burger King. It's Burger King. Arby's. I don't care. You get the point. 
That's abstract. That's an abstract theoretical formula. It you know, may be true, but that information isn't going to make your stomach growl for it, is it? It's not going to make your, your mouth begin to water saying, boy, I wish I had one of those. No matter, how hungry, no matter how hungry you are, the abstract information isn't going to impact you. But if I tell you to close your eyes and picture that quarter pounder with cheese and that cheese is wrapping around that succulent burger and <laughs> boiling hot and the tomatoes and the onions and the lettuce on there, smell that aroma and, and, and picture yourself biting into it. Mm. And all of a sudden your stomach begins to growl. Food. And, and, and you begin to think about it and, and you get hungry because it's vivid, it's concrete, and that impacts you more than an abstract theoretical truth. There's a lot of drunk drivers on the road. And I bet almost all of them, maybe every one of them, knows the statistical information about how dangerous that is. They know the abstract theoretical information about how many people get killed because there's drunk drivers. They've got all the statistics, they know all of that, but it doesn't impact their behavior. They still drink and drive. But when they hit a kid, or when someone else hits a kid, or somehow it comes close to home, when it's a real life thing that's before them that they can see, then maybe they change their behavior. But concrete things impact us in a, in a, in a way that abstract information doesn't. Television commercials know this. TV commercials know this. When you get a commercial on TV, you don't get a you know, a, blank, a black screen with white words that's coming down and just kind of telling you about their product. Please buy our beer. Our beer tastes very, very good. Uh, it is made of barley oats, and it is brewed in spring water. Uh, tastes great, less filling. Uh, you know, they don't give you information about their beer, because that's not going to make you want their beer. Beer commercials, they know how to sell their product. What they do is they put a bunch of guys on one side of the river and a bunch of girls on the other side of the river and a bunch of crocodiles in between. And, and then the guys are looking over at these, these, these girls is having this wonderful party and la da 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 The guys don't know how to get across, so they open up a can of beer. And what happens? You know what happens. It starts to snow. Of course it starts to snow. Right there in the Amazon, it starts to snow. And, and, and the river immediately freezes up, and the crocodiles' mouths freeze up. And these guys walk over the river on these crocodile mouths and then party with these women because they've got the beer. That's what sells beer. Vivid pictures, graphic pictures, pictures that you're not going to forget. It's got nothing to do with beer, but they know that that picture is going to stick in your mind, and then when, when, when that uh, guy goes out and he wants to buy that, that, uh, that beer, he's going to think of those women, he's going to think of that snow, he's going to say, wow, he's going to buy this stuff. It's a subconscious thing. Or they'll put you on a beach, a beach full of these, it's mainly targeted to guys here, you know, a beach full of these, these sensuous women wearing ne next to nothing, and they're always having this beach party and having so much fun, and they're literally hanging on these guys. Why? Because they're drinking a certain kind of beer. Women love beer breath. Everyone knows that. <laughs> Knocks them dead, literally. Because that's what you're going to think about. That's what's going to impact you. And that young man out there who's having trouble getting a date with, with, with anyone, it's, that's going to register. There's a concrete message that's being seared into the mind. In fact, this is the problem with sin. This is why struggling against sin is so difficult in our culture because we get continually, daily, in every form of the media, on television, on, on, on the billboards, graphic pictures communicating messages that are entirely antithetical to the gospel. But they're vivid and they're concrete. And, and if our Christianity is only an abstract piece of information, we'll never have the power to fight against that. Because concrete things impact you far more than just abstract information. This is why memories, 
Wounding memories are, are so vivid to us, so difficult for us. Because they're concrete. The, the, the memories that you have of events that happened in your life where messages were told to you about your worth, maybe, or about your appearance, or what have you, those aren't just pieces of information. Those are movies that you run in your head. They're way back there. Maybe not consciously, but they're there. And they affect the way you relate to yourself. They affect the way you relate to the world. They affect the way that, that, that uh, you think about God because they're concrete and they're vivid. Concrete things impact us in a way that abstract things don't. And the same is true of our Christianity. The exact same thing is true of our Christianity. St. Ignatius, a 16th century spiritual writer, I regard him as being one of the top two or three spiritual writers of all of church history. St. Ignatius said this. Read his spiritual exercises sometimes. Uh, they're, they're very good. He says, it's not what you know, and it's not how much you know that transforms the soul. It's what you experience, and he uses this term, you savor intimately that transforms you. You see, if our Christianity is only an abstract piece of information, if it's primarily cerebral content in our brain, it will never transform us the way we need to be transformed. It will never free us from sin and empower us. It will never be a dynamic living reality. If, if, our, if our Christianity is mainly information, the, a theoretical belief that we entertain, it will never have the power to fight against sin because sin is there in a concrete way, in a vivid way. Unless our relationship with the Lord and our experience with the Lord is as vivid, as concrete, as real as are the beer commercials that we watch, you, you won't have power to come against them. Paul says that one of the things the gospel is to be doing is to be tearing down strongholds in our mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Doing spiritual warfare, tearing down strongholds in our mind. And those strongholds are there because of the pictures that we have, because of the concrete, vivid messages we received growing up and, and every day that of our lives since. And a piece of abstract information just is not going to have the power to combat that. You maybe have been struggling on your own willpower to get out of some habit, some, uh, get out of some sin, to change some of your attitudes. And it seems so fruitless. The reason is because you're trying to fight a concrete thing with an abstraction. And if you're ever going to be, begin to be healed from the memories that plague you, from the memories that wound you, from the memories that do you harm you're going to need to have a relationship with the Lord that is as concrete, as real, and as vivid as are those memories. You can't fight a concrete thing with an abstraction. And if we're ever going to really begin to rest in the Lord, to enjoy the Lord, to romance the Lord, to celebrate the Lord, to have that foundational Sabbath prayer, our, our relationship with the Lord is going to have to be something concrete and vivid because you can't romance an abstraction. You can't have a relationship with a piece of information. You can't really celebrate a mere theory. I really believe that what the church needs today, we need correct doctrine and we need correct theories and we need stuff on that. I'm not belittling that. But what we need more than anything else, I really believe, is not more information, not more doctrine, not more discussion and abstract speculation. What we desperately need, what the evangelical church today needs, is to know how to experience what we already know. To know how to be transformed by what we already know. I don't believe we need more theories on God's love, more ways and more insights on how to parse the verb agape and, and how it's constituted. We don't need more theories. What we need is to experience God's love for us in a way that's concrete and vivid because the knowledge, the sheer knowledge God loves the world isn't going to transform you. It saves you. You're saved. You believe that. But it doesn't transform you because the message 
That you're not lovable is there in a concrete way, and an abstraction will never fight that. I don't think we need more theories about God's joy and the way it's constituted and et cetera, et cetera. We don't need to have more information about God's joy. What we need to be able to do is to look into the eyes of Jesus and to see his love for us and to see his joy over us, to see him rejoicing over us, to be transformed by the experience of God's joy so that it becomes real, so that the abstract truth becomes something that's vibrant. Because the message that you're not worth rejoicing over is there in a very concrete way from the memories that you have and from the messages that you receive, and you'll never be able to fight against that and be transformed unless the relationship with the Lord is as vivid as are those messages. So how do you do that? How do you do that? Paul says to, to do this. And let me just lay this out in a very blunt way, and we'll, we'll uh, continue it next week. But Paul says to look upon with an unveiled face. As the Holy Spirit opens our eyes, we need to look upon the face of Jesus Christ. We need to behold the Lord. And Paul says that we are transformed, not by our self-effort, not by working hard at it, not by putting forth our, our, our sweat. We're transformed as we look upon Jesus Christ. As we behold his glory, we're transformed, Paul says, into his glory. What you believe isn't what determines what you become. It's what you experience. It's what's real to you. Where does this seeing occur? What kind of seeing are we talking about? Five verses later, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says this. But the enemy, the God of this age, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The mind of unbelievers is blocked so they can't see the glory of God, but the mind of believers is open so they can see the glory of God. This is what A.W. Tozer called the inner vision, the spiritual vision, or the eyes of the soul. God gives us the capacity to see spiritual reality. You see it throughout the Bible. Paul read a, 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 one instance of that in Isaiah chapter 6. As Isaiah looked up and saw the glory of the Lord, Daniel says that, that, that God spoke to him four times in the book of Daniel. God spoke to him. He said, by causing a vision to pass through my mind. Throughout the Bible, God gives visions and, and God gives dreams to people as a way of communicating with them. In fact, the Hebrew word, hitzayon, is translated sometimes vision and sometimes dreams. It's an internal kind of experience. And maybe you're thinking here, oh, that's great for prophets, and that's great for high spiritual people, that's great for spiritual elite people, but not for the average Christian. But see, Paul's writing this to the Corinthian Christians. He's writing them to them all. And he says, behold the face of Jesus Christ. Behold the glory of Jesus Christ. And that's how we're transformed. God gives us a spiritual vision, an ability to see the love of Jesus Christ. Now maybe it's still not concrete. What I'm talking about still seems abstract. And if a picture is worth a thousand words, I think an illustration is worth a thousand sermons. So what I'd like to do right now is to invite someone up here to share an experience. Uh, Debbie Carr is going to share with you something the Lord did for her. She shared it with me some time ago, and, and I asked her if, if she'd like to share that with you. To get at what I'm talking about, to get at what Paul's talking about by seeing the glory, seeing the love of Jesus Christ and the impact that can have on us. Debbie, would you come up and share for a little bit? She hates being called Debbie. She wants to be called Deb. Sorry. <laughs> there are a lot of experiences and, and thoughts and situations that have led me to this this. Uh, experience that I had with Jesus, and I just want to give you two of those um, to give you a little background before I tell you about this. 
Um, the first is similar to what, God is, um, what Greg has been talking about, about feeling abandoned. I, f I have felt for quite some time that all your prayers are answered, but mine aren't. I mean, I talk to people and they say, oh yes, God answered this prayer, and, and I felt God talking to me, and um, God led me to do this, and um, felt his presence. And I'm standing here thinking, really? What is that? Like, what does God's voice sound like? I've never heard that. What does this presence feel like? I, I don't understand. And why is it just me that this happens to? And I find it very difficult to understand why a God who I am told loves me is so evasive. I, I have very difficult time understanding that. When I pray, it's like talking to a wall. I, I feel nothing. And I'm a very physical person, so I tend to um, need to have these concrete things. I need to feel the love. Being told it a million times, doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't, yeah, God loves me, uh-huh. That, that doesn't, I don't feel that. I don't feel that love. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is that uh, my theology is, is um, I'm really working on understanding uh, my theology. I... I'm trying to decide whether God answers prayers for us physically or just spiritually. Um, and I have come to the conclusion that he only answers prayers for us spiritually, that he doesn't do the physical needs, because I see a lot of discrepancies um, with what I read in Scripture and what I see in the world. So um, this left me nothing to pray to God about. I come to God usually with this list of, okay, I want this, this, and this, and please help me you know, with this. And now, having thinking that God doesn't provide for us uh, physically, I'm thinking, okay, you come to God, and I don't quite know what to say. It's like, I had a good day today. Um, I mean, how, what do you say to God who knows everything? I had no idea how to talk to him. So I talked to Greg about it, and he suggested that what I, what I should try is try to visualize God's face in uh, my favorite picture of God, or Jesus, in my mind. So one of my uh, many sleepless nights I had, about two and a half weeks ago, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, all right, fine, this is like one in the morning, and it's, it's like giving birth. All of your energy is going to this one thing, you know, and so I'm just concentrating as hard as I can on this picture of Jesus, and I get the hair right, and then I get the eyes, and I, I try to get the lower face, and then all of a sudden the eyes are gone again, and at no one point could I get the whole picture in my mind. So I just kind of say, oh, fine, and I just kind of relax a little, and then um, I'm awake at this. This is really going to sound weird if you don't understand Go these ahead. picture things, but, but... You think I sound normal, honey? <laughs> this is true. <laughs> this is true. She goes, this is, this is true. <laughs> okay, so then all of a sudden I had this, it's like, it's like a picture. I had this, this vision in my mind, and there's, there's three parts to it. It's like a three-act play. So this is act one. Um, I'm, stand, I'm seeing me. I'm looking on me, and I am standing on this very tall hill, and Jesus is standing next to me. And it's in a rocky desert, and what I see is my, our backs are to me, okay? Does that make sense? Okay. It's a very rocky desert. It's not hot. It's just very comfortably warm, and it's hazy, which leads me to believe that it's very early morning. And we're standing out looking, and you can see for 100 miles, just 100 miles, and we are the only ones for hundreds of miles around. And you can see these little mountains in the distance in there, you know, just so far away. And, okay, act two. Now, act two is I'm not looking on us anymore. I'm actually, I'm sitting with Jesus, and we're sitting face to face. In fact, our knees are touching, and we're holding on to hands. And I, 
I can see his face for the first, for the first time. And in, I got the whole picture there in my, in my vision. And I'm thinking, he's got to go soon because there are important people that he needs to be with. And they're, you know, I'm, I'm just me, and I know he's going to leave any minute now, and isn't this great? And, and I'm just thinking, oh, he's going to go soon. And so the next, act three, the next scene is that here I, I see the, our backs again, and I'm, I'm looking on us again, and we're looking out across this, this desert again, and it's very dark. It's, it's so past dark that you just know the sun is going to come up soon. And you know, like when you're out in the open space, you see zillions and zillions of stars, well, that's what I saw. It was so incredibly beautiful. It's like the stars were praising God. They're just, oh, just so beautiful. It's so vivid in my mind. And I stand and I'm watching me and, and Jesus, and I'm just, I'm just dumbfounded that he has spent this whole entire day with me. I cannot believe that he took the time to do that. I mean, that, that just blows my mind that, that he just took the time to spend the whole day with just me. And I just, for me... That was Jesus telling me he loved me, and I felt it. I felt it for the first time, and that was just such a powerful impact. And I'm just so, um, I'm so grateful, you know, and I'm so thankful that, that I finally have felt that Jesus loves me. I wish he'd come more often, but. Uh, <laughs> thanks, God, bro. Appreciate that. You see, you could... You could talk, and we, we, we talked for quite a while about the truth, the theoretical truth that God will never leave us or forsake us. He never abandons us. He's always there. He answers prayer, and you can have all that information. But for some reason, the, the feeling, the, the sense of being abandoned goes way deeper than just intellectual. It's something in the gut. It's something there that's concrete, and we need something concrete to combat that, for, for that, that information to be enfleshed, for it to be concrete and vivid. An experience like that does far more than all the information in the world. I had a, I've had a, n- a number of, uh, in fact, this is the way I usually pray, as I just see the Lord, but right now I'm just thinking of a time last year when I was at a, a, a silent retreat, and uh, where you spend the day of, in silence, and, and you just pray to the Lord in silence, and uh, I noticed on the wall there's this picture of Jesus, just a little pencil drawing of Jesus with his sheep, and for some reason it really hit me, and I actually picked up the picture and held it in my lap. And for three hours, I just would look at that picture and then close my eyes, and I would be the little sheep. And I would see Jesus holding me. Sometimes it would be vivid, sometimes it would be vague, but it always was impacting. I'd see Jesus, the gentle shepherd, holding me and putting his head next to mine, and sometimes I, the little sheep, would be crying for some reason, and he'd comfort me. Sometimes I'd see this incredible storm going on all around us, but Jesus would be protecting me. And whenever I began to lose focus, I'd just open my eyes and look at that picture again and re-enter it. And the Lord ministered to me so powerfully just through that simple little thing. He was the shepherd that went out looking for the lost sheep, and now I could see that I was the lost sheep. And he's the shepherd that, that found that lost sheep and, and held, him, held that sheep close to his bosom and went home and threw the party. And I, I'm that sheep. And somewhere along the line, I got, I got the message that, that, that uh, I'm a lost sheep that no one's going to go out looking for. Kind of the kid who fell between the cracks. That was no one's fault. It just is the way I perceived it. And that wasn't a piece of information I got. That was some real concrete memories that I had. But the Lord, through this sort of thing, by becoming real to me in a way that I could see in Tozier's inner vision or the eyes of the soul or what St. Ignatius called the mind's eye or the sanctified imagination. Richard Foster calls it the sanctified imagination. You see the Lord and now all that information 
It becomes personalized. It becomes for you. God says, Greg, I love you. Greg, I died for you. Deb, I'll never leave you. Here, I'll prove it. And that's where it becomes real. I know that there's questions that you might have about this. Um, the enemy has done an incredible amount of stuff to keep Christians from entering into this thing which goes throughout all church history and is found throughout all the Bible. The enemy today is working overtime to try to destroy this by making Christians afraid of this. And we'll talk more about that next week. Some people all of a sudden, the minute you say something like visualization or seeing Jesus, they think of New Age movement and, and, and spirit guides and all this other kind of stuff. And they let the counterfeit destroy what is real. We'll talk about that more next week. But for now, just, just take this with you, okay? I encourage you to do this. Read a story of the gospel this week. Read the story in Luke 15 of, of the, the shepherd or the prodigal son. And as you read it, do what St. Ignatius says to do. Enter into the story with all five senses. Don't just read it like you'd read a newspaper. That will never transform you. Read it verse by verse very slowly and, and picture the scene in your mind. Enter into it. Let the Lord, ask the Holy Spirit to make it concrete and real and vivid to you. So you're the lost sheep or you're the prodigal son. And let the, let the Holy Spirit apply it to your life. And when you pray, try this. Just try this. I always like to put on some nice music, some... Uh, Dvorak or Claude Debussy or the soundtrack from Somewhere in Time or you know, something like that. Some, something that really is nice and pretty because it, it, it sets my heart in the mood to be receptive. And maybe begin by just hearing the Lord tell you things he's already told you, but now it needs to be personalized. You know the Lord loves you? Can you hear the Lord say, I love you, Bob. John, I love you. I love you, John, over and over again. That is just medicine for the soul. And then as you're able... Ask the Lord to show you, to fulfill 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. To see his face, to see his love, to see his joy. Can you see Jesus holding you? Can you see him putting his arms around you? Can you see his love in his eyes? Spiritual writers throughout all of church history have talked about the eyes of Jesus, the most beautiful eyes in the world, the most loving eyes in the world. And just rest. Let him love you. Let him come around you. Worship him. Love him. And just let him say true things to you. It's what you savor intimately that transforms your soul. And when we come to worship next week, try this. As we sing songs about the Lord, don't just sing about the Lord. See what you're singing about. Through the eyes of the soul, see the Lord in his majesty. See the Lord in his holiness. See the Lord in his beauty. Feel the joy of the Lord as we celebrate. And you'll find that, man, it becomes concrete. It begins to hit you. It begins to impact you. It begins to change you. As we behold the Lord, we're transformed from one degree of glory to the other. Can we stand? This morning, if you want to come forward for prayer, if you have any need that you'd like to pray about, the altars are, are going to be open. There'll be some people up here who would love to pray with you. Don't leave with burdens on your own shoulders. Share them with others in the body of Christ and, and share them with the Lord. Father, I thank you, Lord God, for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you're not just some ethereal, abstract formula that we're supposed to believe, Lord, but that you're a living Lord, a, a, a very real presence in our life. And God, I pray that you continue to be that for us. I thank you for the gift that you've given Deb. I thank you for, Lord God, the way you've met me in my life and, and for the way you've met others in their lives. I pray, God, you'd, you'd bring us further along in this, Lord. Help us to see spiritual reality. Help us to see, Lord God, have a spiritual vision. Help us to turn our eyes upon you and to see you, Lord God, in a way that's more real, that's more impacting and more changing than the beer commercials we struggle with, God. 
Transform us by the renewing of our minds, we pray in your name. Amen. God bless you. Have a good day and, and hopefully have a good week.